Section 15 of The Life of Richard Nash, Esquire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Stevens. The Life of Richard Nash, Esquire, Late Master of Ceremonies at Bath, by Oliver Goldsmith. Edited by Peter Cunningham. It was natural to expect that the death of a person so long in the eye of the public must have produced a desire in several to delineate his character or deplore his loss. He was scarcely dead when the public papers were filled with elegies, groans, and characters, and before he was buried there were epitaphs ready-made to inscribe on his stone. I remember one of those character writers, and a very grave one too, after observing, alas, that Richard Nash Esquire was no more, went on to assure us that he was sagacious, debonair, and commode, and concluded with gravely declaring that impotent posterity would in vain fumble to produce his fellow. Another, equally sorrowful, gave us to know that he was indeed a man, an assertion which I fancy none will be so hardy as to contradict. But the merriest of all the lamentations made upon this occasion was that where he is called a constellation of the heavenly sphere. One thing, however, is common almost with all of them, and that is that Venus, Cupid, and the Graces are commanded to weep, and that Bath shall never find such another. Footnote. Alas, he is gone, and the city can tell, how in years and in glory lamented he fell. Him mourned all the dryads on Claverton's mount, him Avon deplored him the nymph of the fount. Anstey. End of footnote. But though he was satirised with the praises of those, there were some of real abilities who undertook to do justice to his character, to praise him for his virtues, and acknowledge his faults. I need scarcely mention that Dr. Oliver and Dr. King are of this number. They had honoured him with their friendship while living, and undertook to honour his memory when dead. As the reader may choose to compare their efforts upon the same subject, I have subjoined them, and perhaps many will find in either enough, upon so unimportant a subject as Mr. Nash's life, to satisfy curiosity. The first published was that by Dr. Oliver, written with much good sense and still more good nature. But the reader will consider that he has assumed in his motto the character of a panegyrist, and spares his friend's faults, though he was too candid entirely to pass them over in silence. A faint sketch of the life, character, and manners of the late Mr. Nash. Imperium in imperio, de mortuis nil nisi bonum. Bath, February 13, 1761. This morning died Richard Nash, Esquire, aged eighty-eight. He was by birth a gentleman, an ancient Briton, by education a student of Jesus College in Oxford, by profession his natural genius was too volatile for any. He tried the army and the law, but soon found his mind superior to both. He was born to govern, nor was his dominion, like that of other legislators, over the civility of the vulgar, but over the pride of the noble and the opulent. His public character was great, as it was self-built and self-maintained, his private amiable, as it was grateful, beneficent, and generous. 
by the force of genius he erected the city of bath into a province of pleasure and became by universal consent its legislator and ruler he planned improved and regulated all the amusements of the place his fundamental law was that of good breeding hold sacred decency and decorum his constant maxim nobody howsoever exalted by beauty blood titles or riches could be guilty of a breach of it unpunished the penalty his disapprobation and public shame to maintain the sovereignty he had established he published rules of behaviour which from their propriety acquired the force of laws and which the highest never infringed without immediately undergoing the public censure he kept the men in order most wisely by prohibiting the wearing swords in his dominions by which means he prevented sudden passion from causing the bitterness of unavailing repentance in all quarrels he was chosen umpire and so just were his decisions that peace generally triumphed crowned with the mutual thanks of both parties he kept the ladies in good humour most effectually by a nice observance of the rules of place and precedence by ordaining scandal to be the infallible mark of a foolish head and a malicious heart always rendering more suspicious the reputation of her who propagated it than that of the person abused of the young the gay the heedless fair just launching into the dangerous sea of pleasure he was ever unsolicited sometimes unregarded the kind protector humanely correcting even their mistakes in dress as well as improprieties in conduct nay often warning them though at the hazard of his life against the artful snares of designing men or an improper acquaintance with women of doubtful characters thus did he establish his government on pillars of honour and politeness which could never be shaken and maintained it for full half a century with reputation honour and undisputed authority beloved respected and revered of his private character be it the first praise that while by his conduct the highest ranks became his subjects he himself became the servant of the poor and the distressed whose cause he ever pleaded among the rich and enforced with all the eloquence of a good example they were ashamed not to relieve those wants to which they saw him administer with so noble an heart and so liberal an hand nor was his munificence confined to particulars he being to all the public charities of this city a liberal benefactor not only by his own most generous subscriptions but by always assuming in their behalf the character of a sturdy beggar which he performed with such an authoritative address to all ranks without distinction that few of the worst hearts had courage to refuse what their own inclinations would not have prompted them to bestow of a noble public spirit and a warm grateful heart the obelisk in the grove and the beautiful needle in the square are magnificent testimonies the one erected to preserve the memory of a most interesting event to his country the restitution of health by the healing waters of this place to the illustrious prince of orange who came hither in a most languishing condition the other 
a noble offering of thanks to the late Prince of Wales and his royal consort, for favours bestowed and honours by them conferred on this city. His long and peaceful reign of absolute power was so tempered by his excessive good nature that no instance can be given either of his own cruelty or of his suffering that of others to escape its proper reward example unprecedented amongst absolute monarchs reader this monarch was a man and had his foibles and his faults which we would wish covered with the veil of good nature made of the same piece with his own but truth forceth us unwillingly to confess his passions were strong which as they fired him to act strenuously in good hurried him to some excesses of evil his fire not used to be kept under by an early restraint burst out too often into flaming acts without waiting for the cool approbation of his judgment his generosity was so great that prudence often whispered him in vain that she feared it would enter the neighbouring confines of profusion his charity so unbounded that the severe might suspect it sometimes to be the offspring of folly or ostentation with all these be they foibles follies faults or frailties it will be difficult to point out amongst his cotemporary kings of the whole earth more than one who hath fewer or less pernicious to mankind his existence for life it scarcely can be called was spun out to so great an age that the man was sunk like many former heroes in the weakness and infirmities of exhausted nature the unwilling tax all animals must pay for multiplicity of days over his closing scene charity long spread her all-covering mantle and dropped the curtain before the poor actor though he had played his part was permitted to quit the stage now may she protect his memory every friend of bath every lover of decency decorum and good breeding must sincerely deplore the loss of so excellent a governor and join in the most fervent wishes would i could say hopes that there may soon be found a man able and worthy to succeed him the reader sees in what alluring colours nash's character is drawn but he must consider that an intimate friend held the pencil the doctor professes to say nothing of the dead but what was good and such a maxim though it serves his departed friend is but badly calculated to improve the living dr king in his epitaph however is still more indulgent he produces him as an example to kings and prefers his laws even to those of solon or lycurgus end of section fifteen